As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, Oh, yeah. Sportsman drag racing. Big Jet, how are you, my friend? Luke, I am well. Uh, I don't know what it feels like in Southern Illinois, but it's hot. really, really hot in Alabama. Um, heat index is over 100. So I'm well, but I'm hot, man. I really am. And I'm, I'm just already sick of this heat. So um, I, if, I, if I seem like I'm struggling a little bit, it's probably because i am but looking forward to the show nonetheless there's uh there's a lot of great racers and races to talk about this week it has been hot i don't i don't know why i feel compelled to share this story other than to just dwell in my own um stupidity i um uh, the the last week like kind of gone through a rough patch got a little bit off the rails in terms of eating habits sleeping habits just like not taking the great greatest care of myself. And I had a specific goal around eating that I was not adhering to at all. So Monday was the first day that it got hot, hot up here, like over a hundred. So I decided that as punishment to myself, I would wait until it got good and hot. Now I've been working out pretty regularly, but I haven't been running at all. I wait till it got good and hot. And then I ran three miles in the 100 plus degree and just told myself I was not quitting. Like every time I thought about quitting, just go get another ice cream cone, you idiot. Just kept going. Dude, I I've been miserable for two days since. It was not one of my greater moments. You'll show you, won't you? Yeah, I, I did. I showed me. You'll teach yeah. yourself a lesson. Lay down the law, big God, guy. God, Luke, that sounds miserable. <laughs> that was the point. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, That's what you were trying to accomplish. I don't know that it necessarily had the intended effect. Um, lots to talk about this week, Big Jed. The Super Street Championship. We said it last week. We said it was over. It's really over now. Yeah, yeah. It's even. It, it's it's the he's the him as him. I mean, he's it's over. Him. What can I say? Uh, the weekend went a long way, not only towards determining the super gas, the the super street national championship, but also perhaps the super super. Oh my goodness, I'm fumbling this all over the place. The weekend went a long way toward not only determining the super street national champion, Big Jed, but also perhaps the super gas titleist. In addition to that, Stock Eliminator getting juicy over there on the NHRA tour. I, I said it was over a long time. It might not be over, Big Chad. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, Brad Burton. Um, some less familiar but similarly talented names getting it done off the top uh, or in the bottom, making a splash all over the country. So a lot to talk about, a little bit on the state of the future of maybe the immediate future of sportsman drag racing, big dollar bracket racing in particular. A whole lot going on and much more. But first, he jizzle for Rizzle. This here is that moment to go green, hit the tree, and drive the stripe just like right, Luke, we uh we have a lot to unpack. Um, there's quite a bit of discussion. I don't know if there were a ton of races, but there's quite a bit of discussion within those races, but I think we should start at a at an event that's near and dear to both of us. I think both of us have spent some time at this one from days way back to days fairly recent. And that's the Ultimate 64. Uh, guys uh, had that um, uh, empty empty pockets promotions, I believe, if I if I remember correctly how they list that, but. Looked like a really good Ultimate 64, like always. I know I got to watch some of um, Hot Rod Fincham's live feeds and uh, like and share, like and share, and they were going to uh, play some golf on Thursday. Man, I missed that golf outing. <laughs> that was a that was a really good time. The, the, just the whole thing, those guys get started with a, with a good golf outing for the group and then get some good racing going on. And, uh, and there was a lot of great racing there. I don't know if you got to, to see much of it, but I know we've got the results in the show notes here. Uh, bits and pieces. I think it's fair to say to your point, Jed, that um, this is an event that has been longstanding. And I think the reputation of the ultimate 64 over the years has been built on two things. Number one, fun, right? we've got golf outings and poker tournaments and concerts and just it's a good day you can't be around kelly estes and not smile right like it's a, it's a it's a fun time yes. and number two a ton of racing packed into a relatively tight window like that's what this race has always been about and to be completely honest looking at the results I don't know how they jam all this into three or four days. Like they race. There is a lot of different races for a lot of money uh, and a ton of different purses, but that's, that's the way this race has been for over a decade. It's changed venues numerous times, seems to find a, to, to have found a home at uh, at Kilcare, which is, has become, if not you know, quickly becoming like the hub for big dollar bracket racing, uh, certainly within the, I guess that would be the Midwest, right? Is that still the Midwest? Eh, I never really understood that, but okay. Yeah, Big Ten country. Yeah. Yeah, Kill so, Care would be the home uh, of the world no box challenge when we have it. 
It definitely looked like a slow door car kind of weekend at Kilcare. Yeah, man. Uh, obviously, um, again, a lot of great racing there, but the, the main attraction is the ultimate 50K, the ultimate 64 50K, $50,000 to win, 64 car shootout. And, uh, and that's been a, been a mainstay. Uh, this event is probably now 16, 18 years old, somewhere along in there. And uh, obviously started by Kelly Estes and the late great Randy Helton. And now Kelly has taken that over after Randy's passing. And those guys are still doing a really, really good job with it. And this time around, Malibu Todd, Todd Clark gets it done for 50K, huge win for Todd. I think I read where he and his father were there together and enjoying the event, and that's that's got to be extra, extra special. Got that uh, 50K win over Mike Doherty, and Luke, that, that's a huge win for anybody. Uh, but, that, you know, Todd, the guy that don't get out and travel a whole lot, that's his home area, uh, at least home state, and – to, well, I think that Todd might be from Michigan. I can't remember, but I think he's from Ohio. But nonetheless, home area and to get 50K there in, in your area and get that uh, at such a special event. I mean, that, that had to been huge for him. I actually think that's a double strike, Big Jet. I think Todd's actually from the state of Indiana. But yeah. Oh, I mean, that, Todd's that, from Indiana. Okay. That, that general area, certainly. And I think, honestly, a lot of the things that I'm going to say about Todd Clark, I think also ring true for for Mike Doherty. Like there are racers, and I don't mean to lump them in with a a large group, but I think there are racers from just about every region that are recognized as unbelievable, as as capable of of winning races on any level, you know, and, and this this is one of those races. 10 years ago, this was one of the, the five elite races in the country. Now there's 50 granders every weekend, and maybe it's lost some of that. But in that area, this is absolutely one of the pinnacle events to win. And for a, a racer like Todd and, and, and like Mike, um, it's, it's no shock to anyone on the grounds to see them succeed, even though you know they may not be the most household name outside of that area. But I think it just proves the point, like there is so much talent because Todd Clark, like, you know, that dude can win anywhere. And it's no shock that he, that he wins a race of this magnitude. Although I think it's fair to say like, this is the biggest win of his career and he's won a lot of stuff. Yes, he has won plenty. And that obviously is, uh, is a huge win. I can't remember Todd winning anything larger than that. So, you know, just really happy for him. That's a, that's a good dude. Got his family life going and, um, out here getting this 50 K win again, I, I think I read where his father was with him. So super special there for him. Really happy for Todd and Mike. That's a, that's a big final round to be a part of, even if you come up short, that's a huge deal. Uh, Luke, the, the next couple of, uh, parts of this race that we'll talk about, let's start with the runner up and that's a Sunday 10 K, which is a great race in itself. Then they had a Sunday door car shootout G dub. Gets a runner up in both those. I mean, this guy, I'm just, I'm not tired of talking about him. I just don't know what else to say, Luke. <laughs> G-Dub just continues to go to final after final after final. And he's doing this so long. This guy is putting himself down. He, he already is one of the best to ever do it, but he just continues to, to climb the ladder as, as far as the greats are concerned. And not necessarily because of these two runner ups, but it, it's just, He's everywhere. He's winning races everywhere. He travels the country 
and he's getting this done all over the place, whether it's going to finals and, you know, the West Coast, the East Coast, North part, South part, G-Dub, two big final rounds there in the same day. Really strong performance from him. No, it is. It's the, the cumulative effect, like the ongoing body of work. It's just, uh, it's so, so impressive. And I think to the point that we probably take it for granted to some extent, like you just look through these results and like, oh, Gary runnered up two races. And you don't really bat an eye. Like, yeah, that's true. You know I mean? It, it, which is completely unfair to him, but it, it is, that is definitely the the point that uh, that we've reached in, in regarding his career and the point that he's reached in his career. So Jed, Todd Clark wins the 50. Gary Williams appears in two final rounds. And I think it's really safe to say that neither one of those are the story from the weekend. The story is a four-door Chevy 2. Big Jed, we yeah. got to talk about Ryan Butler. A small tire four-door Chevy 2 driven by Ryan Butler. And by the way, Marco Abruzzi, which is one of the most respected uh, racers in, in the, the industry, of, you know, a, a manufacturer, a supplier, and racer. So great for Marco getting a win in a door car shootout over G-Dub. But Ryan Butler was the 10K Sunday winner, Luke. And you think, man, that's really cool. Ryan got to wrap up his weekend with a 10K win. Ryan had an amazing weekend prior to that, Luke. I know you know this, but I'm going to pretend like you don't. Ryan Butler went to seven final rounds. Now, you talked earlier about how there's so much racing packed into this event. It's just race, 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 race. Not only do they have that many races, Ryan Butler went to seven final rounds in a small tire, four-door Chevy 2. Okay, really, really time cool out, story. Time out. I, I saw this note, Big Jed, and I, I'll be honest. In, immediately, I called BS. I'm like, I know they race a lot, but did they even have seven races? How'd this guy make seven final rounds? Break it down <laughs> for me. So they start out the weekend with what they call blind squirrel team race. And that's, we all know what that's the, the off the trailer deal where nobody gets a time slip and you don't, you don't know any of your numbers. Well, they did this as a team where his team consisted of himself, Taylor Cook, Kyle Beavers and Steve Collier. Um, so counting this as one of the finals, the blind squirrel team went to the, uh, the final round there where they were runner up. Um, you know, you think, well, that's a great way to start your weekend. Ryan was just getting started. They had three no-box races on the schedule, like particularly for that class, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Ryan runnered up in every one of those. Now, he's foot-breaking. He is swapping feet, so much respect. And he's doing this in no-box country, again, in a small-tired four-door Chevy 2. He gets the runner up. We'll talk about. So now everybody's thinking, well, all he did is runner up. He just runner up, runner up. We'll talk about his runs towards the end of this little discussion. But he did have three runner ups there Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They had a 1500 to win no box shootout where he split and quit with his opponent. He made it to that final round, didn't win or lose a split and quit, which I'm not a fan of those, Luke. Um, let's race. I want somebody to to win. I don't, I don't really understand the whole split and quit, but it is what it is. And that's what he did. Friday, they had a 10 K on the top. Ryan had an entry in the top and the bottom. He was letting go on the top in the top. He runnered up the 10 K on Friday. So he's wrecking the field on the bottom. 
gets on the top, runners up the 10K. The 64 car ultimate 64 50K shootout that the aforementioned uh, Todd Clark won. Ryan was a quarter finalist. He made it to eight in that. So I would assume that's an area where he might've got a little piece of that pie as well. And then we just talked about the Sunday 10K getting the win over G-Dub. Just incredible. Seven final rounds in a weekend. Several runner-ups, but got a win, got a split and quit. Luke, they started racing, uh, I guess, um, uh, Thursday evening. They quit Sunday evening. Ryan made 51 passes on the Mordor Chevy twice. 51, Luke. <laughs> I mean, that's a month of racing. This guy did it over the weekend at the Ultimate 64. He told me Thursday at noon, while everybody's playing golf, his car was on jack stands waiting on parts. Wasn't sure he was even going to get to go to the race. Got the parts. Got the Chevy twice together, made it to the track 30 minutes before the race started. So he was down and out, got there 30 minutes before it started and got his opportunity to get in the show. And you've obviously heard what he did after everything, all seven of those finals, everything he did, he was the weekend points winner. So he scored, which well, he made 51 runs. So he should have, of course he was, should have <laughs> racked up, should have racked up some points. But he was the weekend points winner after all of that incredible performance. And I talked, Luke, earlier about his three runner-ups in no box. And, and again, the, the, the natural reaction would be, well, hell, he didn't win any of them. He was runner-up in all of them. These were his runner-up runs. Uh, he was 14 dead seven on Friday. Got a foul behind Steve Collier one of the best to do it. That's Steve Collier is a bad, bad man. Saturday, his runner-up was 18 take one to be one thou under to Jason Ford. Bad dude. Jason Ford, I mentioned him a show or two ago. This guy is absolutely terror with that button in his hand. So two excellent laps comes up short. So you think, man, just make a solid lap in Sunday's no box final, and you're going to get that win light. Well, unfortunately for him, all he mustered up was an 18 dead nine on Sunday to his opponent six take eight. So this guy made three winning laps and top, bottom, whatever you want to call it, any, any category, and comes up short. I mean, it, he raced. Kenny Underwood, he raced uh, Steve Collier plenty. He raced, obviously, Gary Williams. I mean, he raced a gauntlet of talented, incredible racers and had an amazing seven final round event. Points winner for the weekend. All the, you know, obviously some good cash as well and all the praise that he's getting online. Really, truly a dream weekend for Ryan. He called it that himself. He said it was a dream weekend. He, he, he just appreciates all the love that he's getting, but that was freaking awesome to say the least, Luke. It is that. I don't know what's more impressive. I don't know if it's 
running through a super talented no box field to like, if I'm understanding what you just laid down correctly, there was not a no box event contested in which Ryan Butler wasn't in the final. I don't know if that's more impressive or if it's taking a four door Chevy two to roll through a field of let's, let's just call it what it is like the, the best racers on the planet and make two $10,000 win finals. And on the quote unquote bad day, get down to eight cars, but I'll, I'll say this, Jed, just looking at this as, as a whole in totality, the most impressive part to me is 51 runs later, you put the cherry on the top by winning the last event on the last day, because as you well know, and I think most of our listeners could attest, like these races can quickly turn into a marathon, particularly when you're going rounds in one class, much less every class. And to, to have the, 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 the mental and, and, and physical, um, fortitude stamina, if you will, to bring your best on round number 49, 50, 51, that's not common. Like that's, that to me is the most impressive part that you cap all of this by getting the ultimate victory on the last time that you stage. like that part's incredible. Couldn't agree more. Um, you know, racing is so difficult these days and, and the runs are so good. Obviously, that's the case, top or bottom, as we just read his runner-up results. But look, I don't know what a what a good running four-door small tire Chevy two runs in the eighth, but I would assume that Ryan's neck is sore uh from looking out the back window. I don't um, think it goes 520s. <laughs> yeah, I would say 99. Three seven percent of his runs, he had to turn around and look out the back window, and and for him to accomplish what he did, you know, in a in a car that's just not your stereotypical big buck bracket winning type car, uh, it shows probably had a little bit of luck, but a hell of a lot of talent, and you know, good equipment, a lot better than what you'd think uh, uh, your normal four-door Chevy 2 is capable of. So uh, just super good performance. Really happy for Ryan. He's a good dude. I, I, I said off, uh, off air, I watched him win at the World Footbrake Challenge um, in a gambler's race that had a lot of entries in it. And he won it in the biggest car that I've ever seen anybody footbrake in. And I footbraked a, a 71 Pontiac Granville, and this thing made it look like a cobalt. I mean, this, it was the biggest Mopar I'd ever seen. Uh, had it had a wing on it, like some Mopars I've seen, it, it, they could have sold seats on it to like go fly it somewhere because it was huge. And he was shallow staged, hitting the bottom, foot breaking, and just making killer runs. Talented guy. Uh, people giving him a lot of love and it's well-deserved. So great job, Ryan Butler. Certainly don't want to diminish anything anyone else did at the Ultimate 64. There were some other races there that we didn't cover, but um, Todd Clark and, and Ryan Butler, certainly the, the talk of the event for sure. Without having been there in person, Jed, like I am inclined to say that in totality, this is one of the most impressive performances that I've ever seen or heard of. Um, for, for a number of reasons, but I, I think the first that jumps out to me is like, we've talked about, I I've always been one to value versatility. Right. And so granted he's doing all of this in the same car, but it's one thing to watch what Jeff Sarah does, like just, just beating the best racers 
in the world over the head, seemingly week after week after week, right? And, and showcasing his skills. And, and similarly, it's, it's, it's really impressive to watch what Nick Hastings does and goes and, and beats the best bottom ball racers seemingly with ease. To watch someone basically morph those two roles in one weekend, like to get it done off the top, to come back five minutes later and get it done off the bottom, that's not common. I mean, we actually, we're seeing it to some extent in back-to-back weeks because it's similar to what Andy Schmall has accomplished this season. And then specifically uh, last week at, at Cedar Falls. And, and I'll back up a little bit on that because uh, come came to my attention. We actually misspoke a little bit about Andy's accomplishments last week. We said that Andy and Brandon had run the table. Andy and his brother, Brandon, had run the table winning every day of no box. That actually wasn't accurate. Um, Luke Siebert, friend of the podcast, uh, was the no box winner on Thursday, the day that Andy ended up winning the the main event there at uh, at Cedar Falls, because Andy came through the box side. So he wins a ten grander mm. in box, comes back two days later, and is in the final, loses to Scotty Richardson, coming through the no box side. So similar to Ryan Butler, he's doing it in the same car, off the top in one entry, off the bottom in the other. So it's interesting that we see that now in back to back weeks because that's that's not traditionally common, right? And then the other takeaway for me is I think it's so cool to see a story like this, because I think we would both agree coming into this weekend, like for as, as similar to Todd Clark, for as esteemed as Ryan Butler has been in that area, in that region, right? He's no stranger to success. Everyone knows who he is. Not everyone listening to this podcast is familiar with his name, right? What I think is so cool about, we talked about Killcare specifically becoming a, a hub for big dollar bracket racing, is that it gives racers in that region like a legitimate chance to be recognized like this. Because it's one thing when the traveling circus comes to town once a year. And, and by and large, I think we're all used to seeing Nick Hastings and Jeff Sarah and Johnny Zell and the Williams brothers like kind of come in and wreck shop, right? Wherever it is that they go. But more often than not, like there are seasoned, talented, experienced, capable racers on a regional level. I won't say everywhere that you go, but there's more of them than most of the traveling hitters tend to realize, right? And when you get multiple opportunities you know, in that region or, or in Kilcare's case at that facility. It's my understanding Ryan's from the Cincinnati area. I think Edgewater is, is home from what I can gather, but obviously Kilcare's not far away. So he was in a final, I believe, at, uh, at the recent TV promotions event there. Like to get those opportunities a few times over to realize that there is not a significant difference in the playing field right? From what you do typically to there and, and to be able to have that success. Like, I think that in some degree, that's a result of so many races coming to that area. And I think that's like a really cool thing that, that most areas don't necessarily um, get that, that privilege. So it, at Killcare specifically, like it's been a couple of years now that that's become a bit of a hub. A year ago, it was Joe Hoskins, like kind of between the ultimate 64 and the TV events and discos races there. He was in multiple finals, a, a, a regional, you know, well-known racer that really kind of made a splash on the national radar, similar to what Ryan Butler's done here. I think about that in other geographies, like one that comes to mind 
following the uh, the 1.1 million up in Michigan, we talked about Billy Swain a lot. And for anybody that's ever raced in that area, you know exactly who Billy Swain is, right? Now everybody does because that those events come to town and Billy continues to, to go deep and show out and get everyone's attention. Years ago when, when Montgomery, and now it's becoming again, but there years ago, Montgomery was a, was a hub. I think of like Timmy Smith, right? Another racer that at that time didn't necessarily travel a lot, but won at Montgomery all the time. And then when the big races came to Montgomery, he kept winning. And all of a sudden we're all very familiar with Timmy, right? Or Buddy Farrell at Memphis, right? Like mm-hmm. just having that opportunity, having that platform kind of come to your area provides a, an opportunity to showcase the skills of, of racers that are not strangers to winning, but haven't necessarily had a bunch of opportunities on the big stage. Yeah, very well said. Um, all that list that you talked about, you know, certainly always been great racers, but get the opportunity to show it on a larger stage when these type of events come to their general region of the country. And that's, uh, that's really cool stuff. And I did know that uh, Luke Siebert was a, was a winner on the no box side there. So uh, definitely a friend of the podcast, Andy Schmall, ironically could have been the Siebert performance. Who's hot uh, <laughs> of the weekend. So a little flashback to old podcast days. Thank you, Luke Siebert, Siebert performance. And um, Timmy Tutos, yeah, he don't travel a whole lot. Uh, he stays around Montgomery and does his winning. And uh, when he does travel, you know, I brought him to the Jake Summer Door Car Shootout one time. And um, remind me to tell you that story if I hadn't. I think I've told you. Like, he started pulling parts of his body off and putting them on the nightstand in uh, <laughs> uh, the hotel room. <laughs> you know, it was a 70s hotel and the the air conditioner sounded like a dinosaur and he cranked it wide open till it, till the thing stopped turning the switch. And then he just didn't turn it another quarter turn. So it was an iceberg in there and he had body parts laying all over the, the hotel room. It was, it was quite an experience. So I'll tell you all about that one, one day, Luke, but, uh, really good stuff. there. great parallels and, uh, and certainly uh, a, a great group of racers that you discussed. Speaking of great racers, Luke, let's, transition to Galat uh, over on the eastern side of North Carolina. Unbelievable, beautiful facility over there where Loose Rocker brought the one of the best name races around, the Bigfoot footbreak event that they are known for each year. Um, guys paying big money and doing a lot of great things in the footbreak world. Uh, Loose Rocker had moved this event move venues they they were scheduled to have it at piedmont early this year not sure what happened had to be postponed they postponed it moved it to galat and uh and obviously had different date and what turned out to be a fairly challenging date for them because there were a lot of events uh for for racers to choose and anytime you you've got that it just tends to impact everybody and it impacted loose rocker didn't quite get to the to the car count they wanted but i'll tell you what luke the the racers that were there in attendance at galat were incredible those racers were the biggest names in foot break and they were performing at a very very high level uh guys had uh had three races scheduled friday saturday sunday they raced friday and then combined Saturdays and Sundays, I think there was some weather potentially coming in and actually ended up getting them Saturday evening before they got wrapped up. But uh, they started out Friday, Luke, with, uh, with the 12-5 event. 
and um, a guy that's just on fire. We talk about foot brake racers or top bulb racers that are on fire. This guy don't get to show it, but when he travels, by God, he wins. Dave Harvey Jr., he won our 25 grander on Sunday at Bristol last year in July, then won $110,000 Labor Day weekend, same place. And here he is traveling back down to North Carolina, getting up a hard earned loose rocker trophy over a tremendously talented bottom bulb racer. And Jesse Betterton, Betterton comes up uh, with the runner up on the weekend. And, uh, and Dave Harvey Jr., Luke, just continues to take the same Mopar that he's raced for, I'm going to say 30 years, if not 30, pretty close to it. And, and get these wins in talented fields, rolling her deep, running his dial in, just making runs as hard to beat. Uh, just talented, talented guy and another big win. And a loose rocker wins hard to get anytime. It was definitely hard to get here because these guys, they were, they were, it's a bloodbath. So congratulations to Dave Harvey and, and Jesse Betterton on that final round. And Randy Biddle was the lone semifinalist. Biddle left there Saturday evening and went to Motor Mile. I don't know if he got Saturday or Sunday. I guess it was a Sunday race, and he won there. When we talk about hot racers, Randy Biddle Jr. is as hot as there is right now in bottom bulb. This guy's winning everything everywhere over in that Virginia, uh, North Carolina area. He is a, he's a guy that's on fire, so look for more big things from him. But Dave Harvey Jr., Luke, over Jesse Betterton. Dave Harvey, just uh, the guy's – I guess Dave's probably in his early 60s and still doing this on the highest of levels. Much, much respect for him. Dave Harvey Jr. is a legend, uh, no doubt about that. And he just continues to cement that legacy. In fact, probably um, I think what you just listed off are, are two or three of his biggest accomplishments just in the last calendar year. Like it seems like the best just continues to get better, right? So super impressive. Can't use enough superlatives for, for Dave Harvey Jr. and his performance. You mentioned uh, you got the win over Jesse Betterton. I'll let you go a little bit more into, into depth, but if this caught my eye, Jesse Betterton had a huge weekend. Yeah, Jesse Betterton, they, they combined Saturday and Sunday again, Luke, as I mentioned, and uh, that got to seven cars and they got rain coming in, uh, kind of halted the program. From what I read, it looked like the track was almost dry, maybe ready to go, but there was a maybe a stronger potential storm that was very close by, and they just said, you know what, these seven, they got them together. They decided to, to split the money and head on out of there, get everybody out of harm's way, and um, that, that final seven was <laughs> – as nasty as it gets, I would have loved to have watched that play out. But it was Nick Hastings. Never heard of him. Twice. He had never heard of either seven. one of them. <laughs> uh, Lucas Walker. Who? Adam Davis. Never heard of him. The aforementioned Jesse Betterton. Yeah, okay. He did something the day before. Yep, know who that is. Uh, and a couple of guys that uh, are in that general region of the country that perform very well all the time, and that's Alan Thatcher and Mark Bridges, uh, those seven entries would have been a heck of a good time to, to see play out and see who ended up getting the loose rocker trophy and check. Uh, they did, I think, maybe some coin flips or card draws or something. And uh, if I remember correctly, 
uh, Nick Hastings got the got the uh, loose rocker eagle trophy, and the big check, and Adam Davis got the runner up check. But um, just an absolute nasty final seven right there that that would have been great to see play out. But before we talk about that, just a little bit more, Luke. Uh, Jesse Betterton, we talk about his weekend. Obviously, he gets the runner up in the 12 5 on Friday. The 25 grander makes the split at seven on Saturday and then left there and went to Roxborough, which is uh, another track in North Carolina, and got a win there. So, great weekend at two different facilities uh, with big stage racing. Jesse Betterton. One of those guys, again, that, that don't put a whole lot of miles on his program to, to get outside of his general area of the country. But he is a bad, bad dude, and he showed that this weekend. Great performance by him. All Jesse Betterton needed was a delay box and a handful of 10-granders, and he could have been channeling his inner Ryan Butler. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he definitely could have been. Uh, he, he's doing this in, like, a, I think a car that was going 530s. So. With two doors. Uh, yeah, only two. Yeah, <laughs> limited. Definitely a disadvantage. Limited doors. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt about it. But as I mentioned, Luke, um, the guys had weather. They had a, a change of venue, a change of date. Had a lot of things going against them, and again, didn't quite get to the the car count that uh, they were hoping for and looking for. But typical loose rocker fashion, uh, went above and beyond for the racers to make sure they paid out everything they possibly could and should have and more uh, from everybody that I talked to that was there they were super thankful for the loose rocker team and the decisions they made to to try to limit the amount of days they were going to be at the facility and certainly to have the opportunity to race for the kind of purse they were racing for with a with a little bit less crowd than uh, had they had hoped for so sound like typical Michael Beard and Anthony Walton event where they went above and beyond for the racers. And I know from everything I've read, the racers were very appreciative. Yeah, no, just to reiterate that point, uh, the handful of, of racers that I talked to from the event said the exact same thing that uh, Beard and Walton, as expected, went above and beyond, probably if anything paid out uh, more than they should have took better care of the racers than even was deserved. But I'll circling back on this, Jed, like you're, you're sugarcoating this, like the, the turnout for this event was abysmal, like very, very low. And, and this is, this is an established event from one of, if not the most reputable promotion group in the business at one of the premier facilities in the country. So I think may perhaps rightfully so, like I, I, what I've, what I've heard a lot coming away from this is, woo, what are we getting into as a, as a big dollar bracket race community? Obviously, we're all well aware of gas prices. We're well aware of inflation. And, and so I guess my question for you, Jed, is, is this a sign of all of this catching up? Like, is this what we can expect in the near future? A, that's number one. Number two, is this more specific to the, the, the foot break or bottom bulb community that maybe can't necessarily, um, withstand, uh, you know, a, 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 a lessening of resources, if you will, as well as perhaps like the, the big dollar top bulb community that's two or three, is this more of just a, 
wrong place, wrong time, a lot of things working against this specific event. What's your take? Oh, excuse me, Luke. I was uh, puking. I didn't uh, didn't get an opportunity. <laughs> if you ask me if if you ask me as a foot brake race promoter, if it makes me a little uh, nervous, you damn right it does. Um, sure. Uh, didn't didn't get a great car count, but it definitely is a product in my mind of so much working against them that they just didn't really have a, a fair opportunity to be successful. You know, you need racers to come from the northeast uh, foot brake country there was an event at maple grove you need racers to come from virginia uh, vmp had their uh their series event uh, at their facility over the weekend that was working against them um there was good races in southern ohio there was good races in kentucky uh, Tennessee, there were good races everywhere. And I think that, you know, with fuel prices, if you've got a good race in your general region of the country, you're going to, you're going to hang around there and race it. And I think that just worked against the guys at Loose Rocker. They have a great reputation. They have done tremendous things in our sport and done wonderful things for the racers. And they have um, innovative events and, and great purses and a lot of attention for the winners and great sponsors and, uh, you know, uh, the live streaming. So they're doing everything right. This was just a product of wrong place, wrong time, or mainly wrong time because Galat is not the wrong place. It's a beautiful place. Uh, so, I think uh, think they're going to be fine. They've got, as we'll talk about later in the show, what's coming up. They've got the 75K uh, version of this for the top bulb racers coming up this weekend. And I really expect them to have a, a complete turnaround and do extremely well with that event uh, like they typically do. So um, WFC right around the corner. It's two weeks away. It's going to be just fine. Our pre-entries are good. So I have no no serious concerns about that. We need a good forecast like any event, but for the Labor Day event where you're guaranteeing $100,000 in a foot brake race, Luke, um, yeah, yeah, Big Jed's stomach's going to be in knots for a little while. So uh, we, we've got, you know, we've got our eye on that really closely and, and trying to watch things. I don't think... Um, the turnout at Loose Rocker is an indication of what races are going to do because uh, we've seen plenty of good racing and successful races recently. I think this was just a product of bad timing and, uh, and too many things working against them. So I think they're going to be fine. I think we're going to be fine. But that Labor Day race, uh, I, will, I will hold off just yet on uh, trying to figure out exactly how that one's going to look we, we still got a little while to go and trying to do everything we can to generate some entries there through raffles and whatnot and make this as easy as we can on the racers so we'll see how that goes but i think racing while not as healthy as it was in prime time is still healthy and going to be just fine i hope that you're right and then and specifically to the events that you pinpointed the the Loose Rocker 75 grander coming up this weekend, the WFC. I, I'm, I believe that you're right. Like I I'm confident that you're right, that, that those races will continue to succeed. Now, 
if we circle back to the the three-part question that I asked you, I think that the answer is on some level, yes. Like I, I think all of those things are are contributing. Um, and I do think like just the the cost of going down the road, like the the cost of competition today, that's gotta catch up with all of us, like on some level. And and I think it's fair to say, um, alters our perspective and, and, and perhaps makes us all a little bit more choosy as to more selective, right. In terms of, and, and there is to be completely honest, like this has been, we've talked about the, the cyclic nature of the big dollar bracket scene for years. And this is, this was coming, right. Like I feel like there's been an oversaturation for years and there will be a, a bit of a reckoning that that's, this is not the first time that that's happened. Um, so I think all of that will play a part. Now, is it going to, does the, does the race this past weekend, does, does that, is that the sign of this just precipitous, precipitous drop off a cliff? No, I don't think so. Like to that end, I, I think you're exactly right. Like it was just a, a combination of bad timing and, and rough events and whatever, you know, like people have their reasons for not attending. I don't think, I do think that there will be a, a, kind of consistent drop off or leveling off across the board, but I don't think that we're going to see races go from having 200 plus entries to having, you know, whatever, 60, 70, you know, I don't think that that's realistic. I think the answer is somewhere in between. Yeah. I think you're spot on with that, Luke. And, and like I said, the WFC is going to be fine. All indications are that we're going to land somewhere in the 75% range of of what we've had the past couple of years, but uh, 75% of, um, you know, 550-ish entries is still a great event, and uh, we're super excited. A more manageable event? Well, it's certainly more manageable, and it certainly gives the racer the better experience. So, you know, we, we've talked about this. No, no one wants to race races with 500 plus entries um it's, it's grueling to say the least and um, i think our racers are going to get a better experience with a smaller number and uh, and we'll be happy as we can be so that one's uh that what you said is is spot on for for what events are going to see they're going to see a drop off but we've seen most events having record crowds in the last 24 months so uh, dropping back off to just a good crowd or even a great crowd in some senses is, is perfectly fine. So um, we'll obviously watch that closely here on the, the podcast and, and we'll discuss that quite a bit over the next several months. But all in all, um, I do, again, feel like racing is very healthy and um, speaking of healthy races, I don't know what the, the crowd looked like at the triple threat, threat uh, VMP race, but um, seemed like one family and, and their trailer was dominant once again. That's the McCarty family. They just keep doing it, Jed. Look, they're living their best life. I mean, <laughs> you know, you got you got Bug Razzin Carroll on Facebook, you know, giving her a hard time and and telling her, you know, saying happy anniversary in his own special way. And and they're just they're the they're the first family of bracket racing and we I, I just can't get enough i can't i can't see enough winter circles i can't see enough getting after each other i can't see enough um my wheelies bigger than your discussions just the mccarty family is just got it going on although he's not named mccarty uh bailey ferraro 
hot as fire, uh, gets a runner up in the 20 K the, the main event over the weekend, um, to, uh, to Otis Adams, which, uh, congratulations, Otis, that's huge. And uh, to get by Bailey is not easy these days or any days. So, uh, happy for him. And then trip wraps up Sunday's, uh, racing the last day with a 10 K win over Matt Edwards, uh, Luke trip and the, the family dragster, you know, they got Willie door cars and S tens and dragsters. So you never know what you're going to see trip shoeing, but gets in the dragster, the old man's dragster and gets it done over Matt Edwards. And then, uh, Friday, this guy, speaking of guys, that's just on fire and incredible Kyle Cotrera gets 10 K win there over another super talented guy in Cameron Manuel, big cram, uh, Kyle Cotrera just looped. Another one we talked about, Gary Williams. Hey, he's always in the middle of it. Kyle Cotrera is always in the thick of it. I mean, just a you know, big event, 10K to a million. This guy's down to the last few in the finals, winning. He's doing it all. Uh, he's another one that is riding a seriously strong wave over the last 24 months or so, and it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. And I know you want to talk a little bit about Kyle, but the McCarty's Luke and what they're doing out of their trailer. I don't know if Corey just didn't make this event. Obviously everybody knows Corey Galitti and Caroline McCarty are, are an item and Corey travels with them and he's been winning in their cars and his cars. And so it's just everything McCarty right now at these big races. What is the world coming to Jed? We got Corey Galetti knocking down big checks in door cars. We got Trip McCarty knocking down big checks and dragsters. What is going on? It's twilight zone, bud. It's the twilight zone. To your point, I mean, I think not necessarily from from us, but from the the racing community at large. I think it's easy to see the uh, the success of a of a Hunter Patton or a Jeff Sarah or um, others, and just just kind of get sick of it, you know, like God. I mean, <laughs> wishing no ill will towards anyone, but like somebody else could win, right? Is, are, are we ever going to get tired of the McCarty's winning? Cause I'm just like you, I can't get enough. No, absolutely not. I, I'm, I'm loving it. They're just, they're so genuine, so humble, and they're just truly having so much fun. And it is hard to watch someone with the qualities that I just mentioned. It's hard to watch someone that's genuine and humble, have a great time and not enjoy it with them. It's just impossible. And I'm loving every minute of it. No, that's well said. I, I get that same feeling when I watch Nick Hastings in person, but Nick doesn't have like that, that outgoing social presence of a personality that, that Carolyn bug and that whole team does. It feels like there's thousands of us sharing it with them step-by-step. Step. Yeah. Or Nick doesn't have that same presence or any presence. Uh, well, I'm fair. <laughs> I, I'm, I love Nick Hastings. Okay. I mean, I love the guy physically. Uh, I hug him when I see him. We don't shake hands. If this guy would get himself in the right position on social media, he could have anything he wanted, Luke, anything he wanted. The, the, the manufacturers and, and people that just genuinely are out there to help people would just be throwing stuff his way. I mean, the guy's an incredible representative of racing in general, and to have him pushing your products would be incredible for you. Uh, so, 
Nick, we got to do a better job. Nick's got to get a PR person and, and improve his social media presence. But as you said, uh, you know, the, the social media aspect of, of the McCarty family, I guess some people could look at that and go, yeah, they're just out here showing off or whatever. That family is no different than they were before social media happened. That's the exact same family having the exact same fun. They're just taking people along for the ride with them and knowing they're knowing how genuine this family is and how cool and awesome they are. You know, I have a, a, a great appreciation for what they're accomplishing. And if people out there think anything different about what they're seeing through social media from this family, forget about it. Forget about it, as Peter would say, uh, because it's it's not what you think it is that that this family's awesome and wonderful and they are living their best life and having a blast. BJ, before we turn the page to uh, some some NHRA-focused discussion. There's a couple of other standout performances uh, on the bracket scene that I thought were worth mentioning that didn't necessarily happen at one of the three highlighted events over the weekend. First comes from the state of Missouri. First off, how often do we talk about big dollar bracket racing in the state of Missouri? The answer is never. Yeah, there was big never. dollar bracket racing in the state of Missouri last week, and one dude wrecked shop. Logan Diggs ran over the competition at Mocan in his beautiful 442. Logan, $5,000 race winner, I believe on Sunday. I'm going to leave it was a $12,000 gambler's race that he knocked down Saturday uh, in the same machine. So congrats to Logan. I believe the other winner at Mocan was J.R. Loebner, another guy who's uh, no stranger to success. So shouts to Logan. Awesome job. I'm sure that he was wearing the, uh, the open face bowling ball. That, that were become very, so. um, yeah. So cool story there. Uh, and I, th- my impression was Logan actually kind of helped pull the strings to, to get, to make that race happen, uh, at his home track, his beloved facility there at Mocan. And, uh, so then for him to come out on top of that's pretty cool stuff. And just that area in general, like we've talked about the state of Iowa and how they've had this just groundswell, this resurgence of big dollar racing, Missouri, Kansas, like that whole region, we can talk about big dollar bracket racing struggling in this time. Don't tell that to those racers. Like that area is thriving and getting better events than they've ever had. And and obviously the participation to keep those races going. So kudos to everybody in that region for making it happen. Yeah, very well said, Luke. Uh, super happy for the the racers from that area of the country getting an opportunity to to compete for good purses, great purses, if you will. And, uh, you know, that's, that's always been a talent rich part of the country, but it's hard for them to show it because the bigger races are not within reason of there. I guess when St. Louis was thriving and doing a lot of big money stuff, that was a, a fairly easy trip to make. But from there now, you just don't get many opportunities from that region of the country. And this is, this is uh, Northern and, and Western Missouri. So it's on kind of out there a little ways when it's not your, your St. Louis area, uh, for sure. It's not out here towards Illinois. It's on the other side. And, um, Logan Diggs, what can you say about him? He's a guy that, that obviously competes quite a bit at, uh, at your summer door car shoot out there in Southern Illinois, he and his father, Greg come up and this is an absolutely perfect um, Oldsmobile, uh, for those of you that are not familiar, you need to look it up. Logan is as kind of cool and wild. He's, he's like your, 
he's like your midwestern funny car chris but not quite as you know out there as funny car chris but just a guy just full of fun man having a good time you never really know if he's going to be wearing a you know a two-foot mullet or if he's going to have his head shaved and uh, just a good family man uh, got super clean equipment um knows the the engine business very well and and has uh worked in that industry a lot so just a cool guy and it's great to see he and his father compete on uh, for big purses and and getting those big wins out there um, no surprise at all and, and really happy for him the other uh, result that i wanted to touch on briefly you'd mention a uh, big dollar foot brake race up at uh, maple grove Reading, pennsylvania and uh, I'll let you take this because this is obviously a little bit more your demographic, but what jumped out to me was the, the main event, the $10,000 to win event was won by one Brad Northrup. And uh, obviously that's a, that's a last name that's pretty familiar uh, to, to, to racing circles, sports and racing circles, probably on any level, Brad, the, uh, the next in line there, but it seems like and you can probably speak to this better than I, every time that I pull up results from new media for whatever reason, I read about Brad Northrup. He's winning the bottom bulb class. He's winning the top bulb class. And I just know from the racers that come out of there that it's no small feat to win any time at New Media, much less to do it consistently. I feel like this is a young man that we're going to be reading a lot more about in the future. Yeah, Pennsylvania in general is a talent-rich state in terms of racing, but it's broken up. You know, you, you've got uh, you got Maple Grove, you got Keystone, you got New Media, and those vents, those those facilities are separated. But you do get quite a bit of racers racing at all of them. If you live in the right spot, you can travel to each. And certainly challenging to get wind lights in that area of the country. New Media, you talked about, but when there's a bottom bulb race at Maple Grove, there are some bad, bad cats that show up for that. Always has been and always will be. They come out of New Jersey. They come out of New York. They they come over from Ohio. They they come from a little bit everywhere, and uh, and it's difficult to win there. And Brad Northrup is a, a guy that, like you said, Luke. I mean, this this young man's quickly becoming a huge name in racing, and certainly to get a 10K win at Maple Grove in an all bottom bulb event, that's a, that's a huge win. And I, I don't know the numbers, but I'll guarantee you it was, it was earned uh, that that takes great racing to get that done. They also had a couple of five Ks where another uh, perennial uh, powerhouse and Andrew Bercudo, uh got one of those five K wins. Andrew uh, comes out of New Jersey again, as I mentioned, those guys travel, to Maple Grove from from that area as well, and uh, Andrew's a great, great bottom bulb racer, foot brake racer, always has been. Great to see him continue to compete on the big stage and get it done. And this one, Luke, I'm gonna have to be quite honest with you. This was a little bit of a surprise. This other 5K winner, uh, Rory Weenie. Um, I I didn't know Rory liked to like to get after it on the bottom bulb. I mean, I know the the family has has been full of great racers for uh, many decades. And Rory is uh, certainly in his own rights, a great talented racer. But I didn't know Rory got after it on the bottom that much. So great to see him uh, get his 5k win there as well um, with, uh, with Andrew Bracuto, but Brad Northrup, the 10k win uh, certainly uh, was the, was the highlight of the weekend, but sound like a, another really good event up there as always. And uh, a lot of talented racers 
competing for those big chicks. Let's flip the page to the NHRA side of competition, but let's stay in that general vicinity. We'll stay in NHRA Division One as the Division One schedule, which has just been brutal for the last month. This is the the third NHRA Division One event in the last four weeks. The only week that they didn't have a Division One Lucas Oil Series event. Division One hosted the national event in Epping, New Hampshire. So a lot of these D1 racers have been tearing up the highway over the course of the last month and. I think the the lead here might have been the lead, which might should have been the lead for the show. Uh, with, all, with all due respect to Ryan Butler, we announced last week we crowned one Keith Mayers as the NHRA Super Street National Champion in 2022. Yes, we realize that there is no such thing as a Super Street National Championship, but there should be. And if there was, Keith Mayers has wrapped it up. It's over. We said that a week ago. Guess what? <laughs> Just Mayers last week. This week. He won again. Yeah, he won, he won Super Street again. So if he had closed the the lid on the coffin that is the NHRA Super Street National Championship last week, he drove the nail in the coffin this week, wins again at Lebanon Valley. So let's just put this into perspective. This is his third consecutive NHRA Division One win. And, and keep in mind that schedule. So this is his third divisional win in the last four weeks in Super Street. He has now been to five races on the season total, four divisional events, one national event. He has been to five final rounds. He owns three wins. He owns two runner-ups. His 2022 round record in NHRA Super Street competition, I went and pulled this up. This is accurate. Keith Mayers, on the year, 25 up, two down. 25 and two, Big Jed. Pretty dang stout uh, there, Keith, and uh, we we declared you the podcast Super Street National Champion last week, and then now you're just rubbing it in. Now you're just showing off and continuing to get uh, final round wins, so um, just slack up, dude. You got it. It's over. You got the championship, but all kidding aside, 25 and 2, Luke, I, I mean, I can't think of anything that that you compete at that you're 25 and two in and it's not amazing, but competing in super street. Cause that class is not full of suckers. There's some great racers in super street and some really good equipment. And that's certainly the case in D one and Keith continuing to, to win at a clip like that. That's very, very, very impressive. And uh, maybe, if there isn't a, a national championship, maybe they should give one when they see things like this. But either way, uh, I know he's super proud, as he should be, and that's a, that's a heck of a performance. As we've discussed before, the racers in Division One will tell you point blank that that is the best competition in the country. So You can win there. You can win anywhere, Luke. That's what they say. That's what they say. <laughs> uh, one other note from Lebanon Valley. How about Brian Warner wins the Superstock title? Uh, defeated his brother Byron in the semifinal round. That is Brian Warner's second win of the season. He also won the national event in Virginia a few weeks back. The victory catapults him to third place in the national standings, which sounds great, and it is great. Um, but as we've discussed before, it still looks like the Greg Stanfield, Ryan McClanahan show. Um, Warner moves into third, but a, a distant third from those two who have just absolutely shown out uh, to this point in the season. In addition yeah. to Division One at Lebanon Valley, Division Four made its way to its final. It was the final Division Four Lucas Oil Series event of the season in mid June. Big Jed, Division Four is done. 
It gets hot down there, Luke. Well, it, it, looks like it, it looks like it was hot this weekend in Tulsa. I think I read uh, heat indexes north of 110. Pretty rough oh. in Tulsa over the weekend for the D4 gang. I guess that's a good reason to be done early. In fact, perhaps you should make the argument that that season should conclude prior to mid-June in Division 4. Yeah, or mid-April. Uh, it gets definitely gets warm down there. So I don't blame them uh, for, for trying to get their their division schedule wrapped up prior to to July because that's uh that's got to impact car counts with that kind of heat. And I'm seeing that uh, seeing some bracket discussion there about how hot it is in Texas and should they just stop racing in July and maybe even later than that. But nonetheless, Luke, I, I didn't mean to interrupt your your D four discussion here, but uh, I, I see why the way they, it goes in Florida, right? Don't they basically take the summer off? I think so. I yeah. think so. So. Who were the great performers here in Tulsa? I think the biggest story, there's a handful of talking points. Biggest story is Austin Williams. Uh, Surprise. Yes, shocker. Gets the uh, super gas win. And as uh, a virtue of that, I think it's fair to say at this point in the season, we're very close to the halfway point uh, in the NHRA season. Austin Williams is the favorite to win the national championship at this point. Uh, Following this, his second win of the season, he's also got a runner up. He's got a semi. Um, and he's only been to seven events. So that's four out of seven that are pretty freaking good. Um, if there was it, it, the interesting thing this year, that's going to, that could potentially work against Austin is what's been a, a short rounded race. Like car counts have been down in division four. In fact, both of his wins were five round races. So in NHRA terms, that's a, a 95 point win, whereas a six or seven round race is a 105 point win. Now that's no fault of Austin Williams. As we've said before, Big Jed, all you can do is beat everybody that lines up beside you. And to that point, this race was actually like, if you can call winning a division race, a bit of a, a bad break from a point standpoint, like it could be, there was exactly 32 super gas cars in competition. So Austin obviously wins five heads up rounds to, to win this trophy. If there's one more car on the premises, this goes to 33 cars. Odds are if Austin's going to win five rounds, he probably gets one of the by runs somewhere along the way. There's one every round. And without really beating anyone else, turns that 95 into 105. It may not sound like much. It's one round. But come season's end, like it's very possible. Now he's got two of those short rounded wins. Like it's possible that those two rounds make all the difference, right? So again, no fault of Austin's. He's beaten everybody in front of him, but it'd be interesting to watch and see if that plays out. Now, to this point, as I said, I think it's very fair to look at the standings and say Austin Williams is the favorite to win the Supergas National Championship in 2022 if he pulls that off, if he finishes the season as the Supergas World Champion, it would mark Austin's third NHRA World Championship in his third different category. He was the Stock Eliminator World Champion, I believe, in 2014. I believe he captured the Super Comp Crown in 2017. Now, obviously, the the leader uh, at this point midseason for the Super Gas Crown in 2022. If he pulls this off, Big Jed, it would put him in very elite company. Three NHRA national championships in three different categories, or should I just say NHRA national champion in three different categories. Three other racers have done it in history. Trivia time. Oh, yes. Can you name them? Well, I mean, that, this seems easy, but I'm, I'm, uh, for some reason, if it's trivia time, I'm guessing it isn't, but I, I, 
I would say Scotty. Yes. Um, it seems like anytime Scotty's done it, Edmund's done it. Good guess, but no. A Peter seems like. Yes. Would have accomplished this. And I, I mean, I, it's not Jeff Strickland. Um, done it in two. Is it Jeggy? Nope. Also done it in two. Super gas and pro stock. Hmm. Okay. I don't, I don't know the third one then. Okay. You're, you're accurate in that it's three relatively obvious names. The two most obvious you hit, right? Edmund Richardson, excellent guess. Edmund now has five national championships. It just so happens that three were in super comp. The other two were in stock, right? So just over two categories. Um, before I, before I share the third, I'll let you think on it a little bit because it's another relatively obvious name, right? And it's actually, I had, when I first did the research, I thought it was just two because it was Scotty and Peter were the two that I knew had done it. There is a third. Um, backing up on that, Scotty's five national championships. He ran rough shot over super comp in the early nineties with championships in 91, 93, and 94. 94, by the way, was the first time that anyone won multiple championships in one season. That's the year that Scotty won super comp and super gash national championships. Two years later, he followed that up with a national championship in stock eliminator for his third class. So super comp, super gas stock. Peter Biondo, super stock national champion five times over 96, 2000, 2003, 2006, 2014, added a stock title in 2005 and then a super gas title in 2012. So Biondo with national championships in stock, super stock, super gas. A little bit of time to think about it. Any guesses as to the third? Oh, I mean, I could guess all over. Can I get an idea of the general region of the country they're in? It's very close to home. Very close to my home? Oh, is it Rambo? It is Rambo. Yes. <laughs> David Ramphy was your super gas national champion in 1989, super comp world champion in 1995, and has three competition eliminator titles in 1990, 2014, and 2017. Nice work on the trivia time, Big J. Well, you gave that one up because there's like two NHRA racers in Alabama. And you know, one's Jeff Strickland and another one's Rambo. But <laughs> uh, reality is I'm ashamed of myself for not guessing that one because that's, a, that's the first one I should have got. Well, He's Alabama. Not to, to put the mark on, on Austin Williams, but I mean, the, the truth is, he finished second in Supergas last season. He's actually got a couple of, of second place finishes in, in, in the classes that he's won in, in stock and, and Supercom. If he was to, to pull this off, that is, we talk about being an elite company. It doesn't get any more elite than that. You join a list of four that includes those three. That's impressive stuff. I mean, that's, that's very, very, elite. yeah, very impressive. Other notes from Tulsa, my man Blake Allen gets his first NHRA division win in Supercomp. The reason that that's the most notable is it's on the heels of a runner-up finish at Dallas just a few weeks ago. So back-to-back Supercomp finals for Blake Allen. He actually looks to be the front runner for the Division Four Supercomp crown. Uh, so congrats to him. In competition eliminator, class that we don't normally talk about, but when it comes to Division Four competition eliminator... I think we have to talk about it, Big Jed. Somebody's going to walk yes. away with $100,000. In this particular event, uh, Don, Don Thomas got the win over Adam Hickey. Now, Hickey's third runner-up of the season gives him a shot 
at that $100,000 bonus, the way that they're doing this big Jed, and actually uh, shouts to Austin Williams for bringing this to my attention, because I was of the mind that the division four champion just got this bonus from Roger Brogdon and, and roof tech and owns Corning straight out. Like it's it, you win the division four championship. It's hundred grand. It's not quite that cut and dry. If you remember last season, there was a, a, a great deal of uh, speculation, concern, animosity, if you will, that it was Cody Lane who made the trip from the great Northwest several times to division four and, and kind of stole away what at that time was a $50,000 uh, bounty plants by Roger Brogdon to win the competition eliminator title. Uh, that didn't go over very well with the division four crowd and, and most notably with Roger Brogdon, at least to our understanding. So they changed up the rules a little bit this year to, to get this bonus. It is accumulated by strictly the six home division division four events as well as the two national events that take place in Division Four, Houston and Dallas. So I just, as we said earlier, um, this race in Tulsa was the final Division Four Lucas Oil Series event of the season. The Houston national event has already happened. So all of this comes down now to the Dallas national event and racers actually earn one and a half times points for this bonus program at national events. So it's not over. Best I can tell, Greg Campaign is in the driver's seat. He leads it by 32 and a half points and I can obviously still earn points at Dallas. Again, nationals are worth one and a half times divisionals. So Chase Williams and Adam Hickey at the very least have a shot going into that Dallas national event, which won't happen until October, but have a shot going into that to overtake Greg Campaign. The most interesting part of this, in addition to the massive championship bonus, and as we've noted before, this pays back deep into uh, the competition eliminator division four field. I think the top 10 all get minimum of 10 grand courtesy of Roger Brogdon roof tech. Like it's kind of crazy to say that out loud, but in addition to all of that, if there is a national event sweep in division four, that driver takes home an additional $25,000. Big Jed, can you guess where I'm going with this? Do you happen to remember who won competition eliminator at the Houston national event? Uh, I do not remember that. But it was, uh, it was Greg Campaign. But I can see, I can definitely see where you're headed. <laughs> so Greg Campaign again comes in as the leader in the clubhouse, the favorite to win one hundred thousand dollars. Obviously, if he wins that Dallas National event, he secures that hundred thousand dollars plus he'll get a bonus of another twenty five thousand dollars. So in addition to whatever NHRA and the contingencies involved want to pay him like that's that's sort of like dessert money appetizer money at that point in addition to that with a win at the Dallas national event Greg Campaign would take home $125,000 yeah I mean that's that's money that those guys never dreamed they would be racing for and in cars like that I mean you're you're committed to racing that category those cars don't transfer into other categories so you're locked in to to comp eliminated with your car and you're just uh, at mercy of what whatever purse they can drum up for you to race for uh on the nhra events or you know maybe a special event here or there or a shootout or something but you know to to race for i mean peanuts in comparison to what these cars are valued at luke on a standard basis to go from that to possibly getting to win 125,000 uh, after 
a certain event ends and the points are all wrapped up, that's incredible. And uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, every little nut and bolt and everything on that car is probably getting, you know, going over and making sure that everything's plugged in properly and all those things because something go wrong and you you come up short on that it'd be sickening because you just don't get these opportunities very often don't know how long roger brogdon and and owings corning are going to be able to do this or how long they're willing to do it so you got to get it while you can and and campaign's sitting in a in an amazing spot to get that done one other a couple other fun notes from tulsa we had a heads up stock eliminator final those are always fun b stock automatic this time around it was will billy will carroll getting the win in a heads up final over bobby brandon despite big jed being outrun by over a tenth slight starting line advantage to one will carroll also of note in stock eliminator jeff lopez almost just keeps winning we talked about how his first three events of the season brought two wins and a runner-up we made it to a fourth event and, and failed to make the finals. A rough weekend for Jeff Lopez. Semi-final finish at, uh, at Tulsa. So you put those four together. Jeff is, uh, is putting together an awesome score. He sits eighth now nationally and has yet to attend a national event. Literally has half the races on the ledger of most of the top 10. I, I famously said months ago that it's over. Nobody's going to catch Brad Burton. Uh, my, my man Tex-Mex is trying to make me eat my words, Big Jed. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a heck of a performance by him. You know, I guess the problem is national events are not typically are not going to be close to him the, the last part of the year or any part of the year for that matter outside of Houston, but I guess Topeka, but uh, Jeff's going to have to, he's going to have to saddle up in the in the driver's seat and put some miles on if he wants to wants to chase this but how do you not luke i mean when, when you've had that kind of success in four events you're sitting eighth without having yet attended a national uh, i mean i don't know how jeff stays home yeah that that type of travel is not his normal mo like i i actually i mapped out there's a path and it's not it doesn't sound that awful for him to, to because a he's not been to a national event, so you got to go to three at minimum, and really to to if you're going to contend for a world championship against Brad Burton, who's already put up a massive score, you really want to get every opportunity you can and make all six, right? In addition to the challenge of that, I mentioned he's this was his fourth division event, and we also said division four is done. Right. So he's got to travel a fair amount just to make at minimum one more points meet. I mean, if he, if you just go to the final at every one, I guess you don't have to go to eight. You just got to make five. Right. So if he could, he maybe just want to improve. <laughs> so in theory, like you could, he can make the double divisional at Topeka. He could run the national at Topeka. He can make the double divisional at St. Louis, the national at St. Louis. Uh, he typically goes to Indy. Uh, Dallas is in his backyard for nationals. So that's all doable. I leave, would leave him two national events short. I guess, you know, a trip out West to Vegas and Pomona at the end, like that's the path. Um, and again, on paper and on mileage, that's not too terribly daunting, but just knowing Jeff's personal situation, I mean, he got two young kids, he and his wife both work. Like it would be a major juggling act to make that commitment. Um, I, I, again, I have no personal insight. I, you, these opportunities only come along so often. So I'm assuming that that either he or his wife or his car owner are going to say, look, man, you got to go, right? I, I think that's the way this ends up, but who knows? 
Yeah, you never know. I, I, I'll text Robbie and find out if Robbie's yeah, going to let him down there. I'm going to see if Robbie will let him off to, to go chase some, some nationals. But again, uh, back to what you said about, uh, about Will Carroll, I, I did see the, the final round picture of the old Chevelle there popping a wheelie as it was coming out of the hole and the uh, thing looked really good and to get a win over Bobby Brandon when you're 11 hun slower than him and a heads up that's a uh, that's pretty impressive deal so good for Will Billy happy to see him get that stock win uh another guy that was red hot similar to Jeff Lopez at the Dallas double divisional it was Lance Abbott who won uh, both ends of that doubleheader in Top Sportsman. He made his third event of the Division Four season and once again advanced to the final. His perfect season's out the window. He's not going to pitch a perfect game. Uh, he didn't quite go three for three, but advanced to the final, went one thou red in the final round at Tulsa to Greg Lair. That was his first loss of the season. And I guess, you know, similar to the situation that Jeff Lopez is in, uh, Lance Abbott's been to three division four events, been to three finals. That looks pretty good. Um, but where do you go from here? I assume that he'll make the trip to Topeka for the double and get two more. Maybe that's enough. Maybe, maybe you win the division championship, just making it to five races, get beyond that. And, uh, it's going to be pretty extensive travel for one Lance Abbott if he wants to try to at least win the division four crown, but whether or not he, uh, pursues that or accomplishes that three final rounds and three appearances is, uh, definitely noteworthy. Yeah, heck of a start for him. Uh, you know, unfortunately, he's in a in an area of the the country that makes it challenging for him to to try to chase after it. And I mean, that's the only least of the challenge. Um, you know, financially, these things are hard to decide right now with the with the expense of fuel and everything that that you have to spend to to go chase it. So, sure. I have no idea if Lance will chase after that, but. He can be proud of what he's accomplished. If that's all he does, he can be super proud of that for sure. Was a Division Six event on the schedule last weekend in Seattle that got postponed early on in the week due to a, an abysmal forecast. Imagine that, rain in Seattle. Does that happen? <laughs> yeah, I think once. So that's it for the week that was on the horizon. Some things that we'll be talking about next week here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Obviously, the aforementioned uh, – Loose Rocker $75,000 top bulb event uh, at Galat Motorsports Park. We'll be covering that in depth. Outside of that, relatively slow week ahead on the bracket front. There's a lot of regional actions. There's a big no box race close to me in Paducah, Kentucky. You've got Mutt and Jeff. That's right up there with the with the big love it. as far as great race names. That comes to New Media. Uh, Gall Star Sevens at Eddieville, but again, like nothing that necessarily captures the the national radar outside of that big loose rocker event in Galat. On the NHRA side, we got a national event in Bristol. We'll be talking about as well as uh, divisional action in Denver and up in Division Six in Mission, British Columbia. So we'll be talking about that and more on the next episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Yeah, looks like there'll be plenty to talk about. Hopefully the weather's good for all those. It's going to be hot. So uh, if you're racing wherever you're racing, make sure that you, you give yourself some um, preparation or, or get yourself prepared for, for that heat. I, I looked at the, the country map and where all the heat is, and it's basically everywhere, but like Maine. So if you're, uh, if you're Kyle Cotrera and you're racing from Elliott, Maine, maybe – you're going to be cooled off, but everybody else is going to be hot. So get yourself hydrated. Uh, hydration is a is a major part of your on-track performance when it is super hot like this. Uh, Luke, I know you've you've talked about this in some of your 
uh, training discussions with people. And I've heard many of the greats talk about how they try to make sure they're good and hydrated before they get out. Cause once you get out and get hot, it's too late. You'll never catch your hydration up until you, you get watered up or, or Gatorated up and lay down and go to sleep and get you a good night of rest. So get yourself hydrated, take care of yourself. It's going to be a super hot weekend. Hopefully everybody out there has a, a great performance and uh, somebody does something that we can talk about here on the show. Uh, we will talk about, um, we'll preview the World Foot Break Challenge, the 16th World Foot Break Challenge next week as we, uh, as we will have about a week to go before the event gets here, uh, June the 30th. Uh, so I look forward to that from a personal note. And, um, you know, hopefully, uh, Luke, if you, don't, uh, if you don't go racing and you end up at uh, Confederate Railroad, watching the concert there in Illinois that uh, you get to talk a little bit about that as well. But otherwise, if you go racing, hope you have a good outing too. And we're hoping for one on my end also, but um, I, need a, I need a, I need an insight. Like people, people will listen to this show before I, before I have to ultimately make a decision one way or another. So here are my options for the weekend. I'd love a fan vote. Okay. Loyal listeners. Where you at? Yes. Option a contend with, 100 plus degree heat to try to hit the bottom, which I'm not particularly good at, and very likely get my butt handed to me by some combination of Lucas Walker, Charlie Lockhart, Wesley Lockhart, and whoever else. Me. B. <laughs> Go to the Confederate Railroad passes, uh, shouts to Jeff Rooks, backstage passes, meet the band. Ah. I've said like one of my goals for this year was to go win a, a, a big bottom ball race. I actually, given my recent performance, I don't think that's likely at all, but I feel like I should go. Um, but yeah, that's uh, so yeah, I, I'm torn. What does the audience say? Where should yeah, y'all, y'all let him know. Um, Luke, I, I know you're, you're beautiful bride. Well, and, and miss Jessica is a, is an awesome girl. So it's obviously, it's obvious. You do not like your women a little on the trashy side. You like, oh, them dad, the, I fell in love with the queen of Memphis. You like them on the classy side, <laughs> but uh, everybody loves that song. And uh, that's about all they sing that I've ever heard. But anyway, should be a good time. Either way you go. Um, good luck to you either way. I uh, <laughs> hope you have a great time. Listeners help Luke decide get him a vote give him your vote great place to do that we'll be right there on the drag race sportsman drag racing podcast facebook page almost left out sportsman but the facebook page is right there for you give him your your vote um maybe producer mark can put up a poll or something make this real easy everybody just go in there and click your your choice but nonetheless uh we need to hear from you because luke's got a huge decision this is one of those life decisions where you need a lot of uh, people helping you and a lot of influence so Y'all help him decide racing in 100-degree heat with some of the best bottom bulb racers in the world or going to watch Confederate Railroad and getting backstage passes to meet the band and hang out with them. So let him know which way you'd go. Luke, it's shout time. What you got? Shouts to Confederate Railroad. Shouts to Jeff Rooks. Shouts to Alabama. Not the state, but the band. Shouts to Sessor, Illinois, and the Sessor Homecoming. That's where Confederate Railroad's coming on Saturday. Shouts to the Mordor Chevy 2. Shouts to the biggest footbrake Mopar ever. Shallow. In a spot that doesn't exist. Shouts to Bigfoot, the Bigfoot Rocker. Shouts to Mutt and Jeff. Speaking of, of Bigfoot, shouts to 
I, I gotta get the whole story here, but shouts to body parts laying on the nightstand. Oh, um, shouts to the first family of drag racing living their best life. And shouts to trivia time. I gotta bring that back more often. Trivia time's fun. I'm terrible at it, but I do enjoy it nonetheless. Great list of shouts. Uh, guys, if you tweet, Luke and I are ready for you. We love the interaction on Twitter, especially me. Tweet us. Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. It was fun talking to you about all of these great racers and great races. And we look forward to talking to you about more of it next week right here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect. Led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100 plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.